0: 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9 is where we're going to be together this morning. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible, we do have Bibles provided in the seats here. And so uh, just pass those down and around and make sure everybody has their hands on a copy of God's Word. 1 Corinthians 9 is where we're going to be. We are going to uh, be in one other passage prior, but we'll just put that one up on the screen for you. And so 1 Corinthians 9, we'll start uh, in a little while here in verse 24, all right? So... To get started, let me, let me do this. You want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? You ready to hear it? You know that sound? Maybe you have a variation of that sound in your own life. It's the alarm clock. Nobody, nobody likes the sound of the alarm clock, unless you're absolutely crazy. But let me tell you something. The sound is the sound of discipline. It's the sound of discipline, whether you're waking early to uh, go to the gym or you're waking early to take your pet outside to do some business or you're waking early to cram for the morning exam or you're waking early to catch a train or a bus for work or you're waking early to go for a run. That's the sound of discipline. And many of us at the, the start of the new year have made some, some fresh commitments that we might be more disciplined in our lives, and this is a really great season to do that, but let me throw one passage into the mix for you, and it's 1 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, 7 and 8, and we'll put it on the screen for you. Here's what Paul says to young Timothy. He says this, he says, "'Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, catch this, train yourself for godliness.'" For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And so, like many of us, I too have made commitments for, in 2014, I'm going to spend some more time at the gym, 2014, I'm going to do a little more running, put a little more miles on my sneaker, but here Paul reminds us that bodily training is of some value, but training And godliness is valuable here and into eternity. And so today we begin this study on spiritual discipline. And and spiritual discipline is where we're going to be for the next few weeks together. And and my first task, I think, in, in beginning to share on spiritual discipline to all of us is to help you to see the need for spiritual discipline because it can feel less urgent than other disciplines in our lives. So, for example, academic discipline. Well, that's clearly urgent because you have a syllabus and you have exam dates that, that are there and you have to be prepared. Career discipline is clearly urgent. You have project deadlines or you have to be at work by 8 o'clock in the morning and you've got to be disciplined to get up and get out the door and be there or you lose your job and you can't eat and you can't live. Physical discipline is, is clearly urgent because maybe you're rapidly putting on the pounds or you have high cholesterol and it's, it's clear that you've got to change your eating habits and you've got to be... Physically disciplined. These are, are clearly time sensitive. But spiritual discipline can, can easily kind of get forgotten in the hustle. And, and why is that? Because it's spiritual. It's spiritual. It, it, it seems like you, quite, you, know, you really can't quite touch it like you can your love handles. You know what I mean? It's, it's spiritual. But I, I'm, I'm warning you that your spiritual condition is as real as your cholesterol. And we need to really grip, grip that today and see that it's, it's very, very real. Notice what Paul says here. He says, while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of more value. Is that what he says? No, he doesn't say more value. I, I think that's kind of how we see it, don't we? I think we kind of oftentimes see it like Christians are simply saying, spirituality is, is more valuable, which leads people to say things like, well, You know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, or or worth is really up to the appraiser. Therefore, spiritual growth might be valuable to you, but to me, uh, physical growth is is worth more, or intellectual growth is worth more. But Paul is not simply saying that it's worth more quantitatively. He's saying the difference is is that spiritual growth and, and spiritual discipline and godliness is valuable in every way. In in every way. In other words, spiritual training can reach into every single corner of your life. When you pay careful attention to your soul, it touches not only your soul, your spirit, the body, but it also touches the, the, the physical body, not just the spiritual body. It touches the temporal, and it also touches the eternal, into the the next life. And so spiritual training, godliness, is valuable in every way. You can't name one area of your life that your spiritual health doesn't overlap into. And some of you can say, yeah, I've seen that. It's proven true in my life. It's certainly proven true in my life. When I'm spiritually healthy, my marriage is stronger. When I'm spiritually healthy, my my parenting is drastically stronger as I parent under the example of the Lord. When I'm spiritually healthy, my, my physical health is even stronger because my stomach is not my God and I'm seeking pleasure in the Lord and not in uh, food and, and drink. When I'm spiritually healthy, my relationships are stronger because I can have relationships under the example of Jesus and exercise grace the way Jesus exercised grace. When I'm spiritually healthy, I, I can work better. I think better. I have wisdom like Solomon who asked for wisdom when I'm, I'm spiritually healthy. And so Paul is saying that spiritual health is valuable in every way. And spiritual training holds value not just in this life, but all the way into the next life, into eternity. And so you may hit the gym, and it might prolong your life. It'll certainly give you more energy. But eventually, your body, regardless of how many hours you spend at the gym, eventually your body will break down. But spiritual training has no lifespan. It goes well into eternity. And so each week, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a spiritual discipline. And this week, I just real simply just want to introduce uh, the concept of spiritual discipline to us. And I want to start by really looking at, uh, at Paul and his intensity in his own personal disciplines. And so let's look at 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Let's read it together. He says this, he says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. It's a great passage. Maybe some of you have heard that or something of, of the sort, some variation of that in your own life in the, in the past. It's used often by Christians to, to encourage us to press on in the fight. In the preceding verses of this chapter, Paul speaks to the various commitments and sacrifices that he himself has made in order to have a highly impactful missionary ministry uh, around uh, the, the region. And many, many people have heard the message of Jesus, had their lives changed. Churches have started because of Paul and his discipline. But in order to, to reach the types of people that Paul reached, he had to take on some challenging disciplines, many of which don't, they don't necessarily apply to us today. But what I want to see is I want to see just his personal discipline so that he might honor Christ and share Christ with other people. Some disciplines that he took on were, as we read in the, the verses preceding this, uh, things like dietary restrictions. And so he didn't want to offend the various cultures, and so he restricted his diet according to the cultures that he was entering into. He, he opted out of taking a wife so that he could be free to travel. He opted out of taking a wife so that he wouldn't be exposed, as he's exposed to danger, have wife at home worrying or bring her with him and, and being uh, fearful. He reminds us that the other disciples, apostles, did take wives, but he opted out of it. He says in the preceding verses that he didn't take pay. He says the scriptures say that he has the right as a minister to receive some kind of income, but he said he didn't. Because he didn't want money to be uh, something that inhibited the Corinthian church from hearing the message of Jesus. And so Paul does these things. He takes on these disciplines so that he might fulfill the, the, the ministry that God has called him to, so that he might be and to do all that God wants for him. And here in verses 24, 25, 6, and 7, uh, he makes this strong athletic illustration as. He often does. I like that. He, he gives us these athletic illustrations, and he, he does so to speak to his commitment and his hard work and his intense focus towards who he is to be and who he is uh, to, to minister to. And he gives this illustration not to puff himself up, but he gives us this illustration uh, to encourage the Corinthian people and us today here to step it up and to really press on in our commitments and in our discipline. So let me ask you this. At, at the beginning of all of this, as we say we're going to enter into talking about spiritual disciplines. I wonder what things are already coming and have have been coming uh, to mind for you. Some things that right out of the gate you know you need to pay attention to. Areas where you know that you need to really step it up. Maybe it's spiritually your diet. What I mean by that is your intake of the scripture, your fellowship with the Lord. And maybe that's something that you just out of the gate know at the start of the year uh, you want to step it up. 2013 wasn't very strong for you, or maybe towards the tail end of the year you got busy and it wasn't strong for you, and you're saying, very clear, I need to step it up. Maybe for, for you it's spiritually it's exercise, and what I mean by that is flexing the gifts that God has given you so that you can serve in your church and serve in your community. Maybe for you it's, it's even the, the intense commitment of sexual purity. I maybe mean, the things that you see on the computer and on the internet and on your phone, these are things that maybe for you, uh, it immediately comes to mind, this is an area that you've, you're just very aware, I need to step it up in this area, I need to make some commitments, I really need to deal with this area in 2014. Maybe some of us, we've been running the race well, but we're starting to feel it, we're getting tired, and you need some encouragement to, to press on. Paul in this illustration here has words for you, so let's review the illustration a little bit. Verse 24, he compares spiritual discipline to a race. Now, Corinth, the people that he's writing are the the church of Corinth, uh, is a major city in Greece. And it was home to the Isthmian Games. This is a famous athletic competition, second in fame and popularity only to the Olympic Games of its day, the Isthmian Games. And the leading event in these games were the, the foot race. And for these people, it was more than just entertainment, it was, it was patriotic, it was passionate that we might be a part of these games, and they were so excited about it, they lived and breathed the Isthmian games. And Paul is saying, so should be you, Christians, your, your spiritual fervor. That should be your spiritual fervor, that we're not just going for a nice, you know, spiritual jog, but we are on a race, like the clock is ticking, we have a real sense of, of urgency here. He says there's only one who can receive the prize. Now, we know that obviously many people are going to enter into heaven, the people who are those who have placed faith in the Lord Jesus. So it's not literally only one person. He's saying, treat it like a race. Like, let's go. The clock is ticking. There's urgency. Let's step it up. Let's do this. And he says this. He says, run that you may obtain it. These are familiar, meaningful words for the people there in Corinth, words that were used to motivate young athletes who would enroll in these gymnasiums that were all around these uh, Grecian cities. And they would encourage these athletes to press on, run that you may obtain it. In the, in the races, people would be on the, the sidelines saying, run that you may obtain it, go for it, go for it. And so these words were very real for these Christians here in Corinth. And, in Corinth and, and Paul is saying this, he's saying, I want you to run hard. I want you to press on. I want you to know that the, there's an end to this race and the prize is, is Christ. Press on. It feels like it's never going to end. You've been there on the treadmill and you feel like your, your workout is never, the dots aren't going to go all the way down. It just feels like it's never going to stop. It's coming. There's going to be a day where you have rest. Revelation 14 tells us that that those who don't follow the Lord have rest on earth, but they have eternal unrest. And it says that we as believers, we work hard, but we have an eternity of rest. And so Paul is saying, press on, press on. Verse 25, he says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. Notice he said, every athlete, every athlete. So he's saying, every single person who enters into these games exercise self-control. So he's saying, listen, Christians, it should be that every single Christian is a full-on devoted follower of the Lord. Every Christian is expected to be a full-on devoted follower of the Lord. In these games, in order to enter, every athlete had to take an oath. And history will tell us that they would take this oath that they had been uh, training for the past 10 months. I say, yes, I, I've been training for at least 10 months, They they took an oath, these athletes, that they would not drink wine. They would restrict their diet, eating unpleasurable foods, not unlike our elite runners uh, today. They were committed to endure the cold and the heat and to be incredibly disciplined. They were committed to run this race. And Paul is saying to us, he's saying, listen, if you're going to run the Christian race, you cannot enter half heartedly. You cannot enter half heartedly. He's declaring. I am serious about Christ, and if you're going to follow Christ, the expectation is that you too must seriously pursue him. That spiritual discipline, discipline in your spiritual life is not an option, he says. It's the natural, intense passion of a true runner in the race, and it's the natural, intense passion of a true Christian, that we might be self-controlled and committed in our spiritual life that just overflows out of, I'm following the Lord, he's been good to me, and I want to be disciplined to follow him well. And he says this, he says, the Isthmian runners did not run to receive, um, or they they ran to receive an imperishable wreath, or a perishable wreath rather, and we do not run for a perishable wreath, but we run for an imperishable wreath. Wreath. And so the, the, the prize that they had was your typical uh, Grecian wreath that would be placed on the head. But Paul says, listen, I just want to remind you, leaves wither, leaves will wither. It's perishable, it's just, a, it's just some status, it's a nice looking wreath that you can hang up somewhere once you get back home. The, the prize of Christ is imperishable. It will not, will not wither. Like we saw in 1 Timothy 4.8. For us, it extends into the next life, into all eternity. So every other Christmas, uh, my family goes home to be with uh, my parents, and they live in the house I grew up in. And I always make it a point to go down into the basement, which is uh, the dungeon where I lived in my uh, teenage years with the bachelor pad. And my mom is such that nothing has changed in the basement all these years except for the addition of a treadmill. And so I, I'll go down and uh, check out my old... Uh, stomping ground, my bedroom, and the, the trophies are still on the shelf. There's a light fixture in the middle where she's hung all of my medals, and they're being tarnished now, and they're collecting dust. And one day, somebody's going to toss them. It will not be my mom. She's too nostalgic for that. But somebody will touch the, toss them because they are, they're, they're perishable. And now in Boston, nobody cares. My, my high school achievements, my athletics means nothing to anybody in Boston. Nobody has stopped me on Center Street and said, you're the guy. Late 1990s, state championship, that's you, right? Nobody has ever done that. It, it, it Some value back then, it, it taught me discipline and, 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 and teamwork and, and, and built me up as a person. Some value. But no value into eternity. The prize of Christ, he's saying, is imperishable. It is valuable in every way as you pursue the Lord here on earth. I wonder what it was for you. For me, it was sports in high school and music. For some of you today, even, it's, it's still sports. It's, it's career. It's financial gain. It's a relationship. Whatever it is that you're pursuing and you're saying, this is everything. This is what I'm training myself to pursue And he's saying, "Listen, here's what's imperishable: it's the spiritual discipline, strength in your your soul." In high school, on the wall in the gymnasium, they had the Wall of Fame where they painted all the 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 school records of the different sports. And so there was, you know, uh, this guy named Bubba they called him, and he had his name Nick on the wall, and he was the star quarterback, and all of his his records and then there were the the guys who ran the most yards and and the guys who shot the most three-point shots and then there was Josh Wyatt on the wall my name right believe it or not it was on the wall but before you be impressed let me just tell you what it was I don't even know why it went up there I was a wrestler and so the the title or the record on the wall was most escapes (laughs) now if you haven't put that together in order to escape you have to be taken down. <laughs> and so it was kind of a pathetic one, and I really was asking the coach, please take that. Please take that down. Verse 26, Paul says, I don't run aimlessly. I'm not like a boxer who's who's boxing in the air. He, he's saying, I don't have some, some lame, high school, petty, fleeting goal to get my name on a wall or to get a medal that's going to tarnished or, or to run a race to get some recognition with my friends or just to be on the team just for the sake of having a jersey or a jacket or, or for you maybe it's some kind of social status or the house or the car or the condo or the particular neighborhood of Boston. We all know that some are a little more swanky than, than others. He said, no, I don't, I don't do this aimlessly for some petty fleeting goal that's going to end at the end of my life. He says, This is imperishable. This is everything. This is eternal. I have a worthy goal. And what is his goal? Why is he so disciplined? The the section preceding this one, look at verse 23 if we can. He says this. He says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. Do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessing." So, Paul, why are you so intense, man? Paul, can you lighten up a bit? Can you just slow down? Can we go for more like a spiritual jog? And Paul says, no. There is no room in the Bible. You show me. There's no room in the Bible for half-hearted Christianity. Jesus says things like, you must take up your cross and follow me. And as he's saying that, in that culture, there would have very likely been in the horizon as he's teaching his disciples, people literally hanging on crosses, dying, Roman execution deaths, on display for the culture to, you better obey the cross. You better obey the law or you're going to be hung on a cross. And so he says, you've got to be willing. There's no room for this half-hearted Christianity to come join a social club. He says, listen, I don't slow down. We're not going for a jog. This is a race. Those athletes who in your neighborhood are taking the oath to run in the Isthmian games, they're serious. Those guys who have restricted diets, they're serious. Those guys who are sacrificing much, serious. The guys who are getting up early and staying out late in the temperatures that are varying, that are extreme, they're, they're serious. And he's saying, similarly, Christians This isn't just this kind of lighthearted thing that you just check a card and jump into. Are you going to follow Christ? He says, I'm intense. Paul is very intense as you read his work. I'm committed. I'm full of devotion. Why? For the sake of the gospel. sake of the gospel. Now, the gospel is a, a phrase that gets thrown around quite a bit. Let's make sure that we know what gospel is. Gospel means... Good news that God, the creator, made us. He gave us life. He breathed into us the the breath of life. So we are alive because of him. We're alive because of him. But then, like Adam and Eve, we all have gone astray from him, the scripture will say, that we've all sinned against him. We say, I don't need you. And so we cut ourselves off from the, the life giver, the one who breathed into us the breath of life, and that is sin. And it continues to infiltrate our lives. Sin is like a cancer. And so physically, we will die because we don't have the breath of life any longer. We are dying. We will die. But that part of us, as we read earlier, that lasts forever, that goes into eternity, that that spirit, that soul is, is also dying. And so God, what he does to fix the problem is he comes to earth As a man, Jesus of Nazareth, he lives in our shoes, our life, our world, our pain, our struggle. He knows it very well. But he lives through all of that without sinning, completely undeserving of death. But does he die? Yeah, he dies. He lays down his life on the cross, taking our death sentence, our punishment, paying the payment for for our sins so that if we today would trust in Jesus' death on the cross, then we get life. It's this exchange, his death for our death, his life for our life. We get life and we become new. And though our bodies will waste away, our spirits last forever. We live forever with him. And one day he gives us new glorified body. And maybe today, I don't know, maybe today you're hearing that for the first time and you're saying, yeah, wow, I've heard a little bit about the cross, I know a little bit, of, but, but today I'm really hearing it for the first time and Scriptures say, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved from this. You'll be saved. You'll be made new. You'll be given eternal life. And I pray that today maybe some of you will turn to Jesus, that you'll turn from living your own life for yourself and your your own ways, and you'd say, I'm going to follow the Lord. I'm going to turn from sin. I'm going to turn to Jesus. Paul says, I do all of it for that, for the sake of the gospel. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. Verse 23, notice he says that I... May share with them. So he's doing it for I and for them. He's saying, first of all, for for me, he's saying, I I, I do all this because I just want to ensure that I am really in this race. It's not that his performance in the the Christian race is going to earn him God's favor or salvation. No, it's Jesus's performance. Let's be very clear on that. You cannot be good enough to get to heaven, to be made right with God. It was trusting in Jesus. But he's saying, listen, if if I'm not running hard, maybe I'm not in the race. It's like maybe I haven't really been changed. Maybe I haven't really been given new life such that I'm so grateful and I want to live for Him. So He says, first of all, I do this for the sake of the gospel for for me, because it's changed me, and I want to I want to do it for the work that it's done in me, just as out of gratitude. He says, I also do it for for them. I, I'm running this race for other people, so that other people can can hear the good news. I'm exercising these spiritual disciplines in my own life so that I can fulfill the ministry that God has given me so that more people can hear the good news of Jesus. All eternity is on the line. This is a huge, huge deal. This is no small thing, he's saying. This is the hope of the world. And so I will discipline my body however I need to such that I can minister to to people. I'm gonna stop hitting the spiritual snooze button so that I can go and to minister to people. And I can live a life of gratitude with the Lord. I'm going to stop spiritually sleeping, and I'm going I'm to train. So verse 27, what does he say? He says, I will discipline my body and keep it under control. Other translations say, I will beat my body and make it my slave. In other words, I'm seriously going to focus in on the spiritual disciplines of my own life, I'm going to really focus in and ensure that I am living a life of holiness, a life of walking closely with the Lord, that I have a vibrant relationship with him, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. So again, for me and for them, for me so that I won't be disqualified. I want to ensure that I'm in the race. Throughout Paul's letters, one thing that you cannot miss that he does is he's often examining his own personal faith and it always leaves me kind of scratching my head like, Paul, really? You've been beat for Jesus. I think you're, I think you're in. I think you're, you're really displaying a life of following the Lord. But Paul's just saying, listen, I'm convinced that if you're living half-hearted, you're not in a relationship with the Lord because he changes you. And so he's even here saying, I just want to make sure that I'm not disqualified, that I'm in the race. And then he says, I'm also doing it for, for them so that I can preach them, I can share with them, do whatever it takes. So I'm going to stop hitting the spiritual snooze button, and I'm going to keep living for the the Lord. I'm going to train. I'm going to get in the scriptures. I'm going to be in prayer. I'm going to engage in a church family. I'm going to find my gifts, and I'm going to serve. I'm going to be on the mission of Jesus. And we're going to look at these in the weeks ahead, very specific spiritual disciplines. But I want to ask you, this morning to, to leave considering your own spiritual discipline, what does it say? Does it say that, hey, I really am walking with the Lord and, and he has really changed me? Or does a lack of discipline in your own life, does it maybe say that you've never even given your life to Christ in the first place? He hasn't really done that work in your, your heart. And so I would say this. If you're a Christian, I would say, I would encourage you to start with confession before the Lord. I would encourage you, as we close up here, just to come before the Lord and say, God, I I confess, this has not been a strong season for me. God, I I haven't been pursuing you seriously. I've been pursuing a lot of things as though they're more important than you. Things that are perishable. You are imperishable. Things that will not carry on into the next life. Things that have a, a shelf life. And God, I want to confess that I have been Not faithful in that area. And he'll hear your prayer, and he, by his Holy Spirit inside of you, will help you to live a life of faithfulness. But I would start with confession today. Some of us today, for the first time, as I said before, need to respond to the good news of Jesus and never responded to Jesus and said yes to the gospel. Paul says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. This is a big deal, this is everything. And some of us today need to say yes to the gospel, yes to the good news, yes to what Jesus has done for us. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to lead you in prayer. So would you join me? Let's pray. Father, I come before you with my friends in this room. And Lord, we're asking you to, to help us to evaluate our own hearts, our own lives. God, I pray that there are Christians in the room who have not really been strong in spiritual discipline. They've not been pursuing you in prayer, pursuing you in your word. God, I ask that you would help them to evaluate their lives in this time. You would stir them to confess and show them what to confess so they can begin to move forward in this new year, walking closely with you in these specific areas that they need to develop. In their faith, and their soul, their spirit. God, I pray for others in this room today who have they, they've not been uh, living for you because they're they're not a follower of Jesus. You haven't changed their heart in such a way that that they just they have to live for you. It just overflows. So, God, I commit them to you. May they not make the mistake of just trying to get spiritual all of a sudden and just putting muscle on top of cancer, but that they would actually turn to Jesus and that you would change them from the inside out. They would overflow. God, I pray for our neighborhoods that are consumed with this, consumed with trying to be good enough, trying to check a list in hopes that it might earn your favor, but instead, may we really turn to Jesus and see that you have earned the favor of God by dying on a cross in our place, that we might trust in that and be changed from the inside out be made new creatures, given life become a Christian and so Father we commit these folks in this room today to you, I pray that you would help them to do what they need to do confess or turn to Jesus for the first time, do your work in their hearts God we commit it to you in the name of Jesus we pray Amen.